0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is beyond the vote. It's the podcast that attempts to dig deep into the political process as we <sighs> scurry our way, explore our way, crawl our way through the uh, 2016 presidential primary process. I'm your host, Riley Bland. So the so glad, so glad that you've decided to tune in. Man, it's it's a grind, folks. It's a grind, uh, and I also have, as always. The co-host of the podcast right here, my good friend and yours. He's
1: Mr. Scott Ryfen. How's it going, Scott? Uh, marvelous, marvelous. How about you?
0: Doing absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Just gotta let that, uh, just gotta let that uh, music come through. I love that song. That's a that's that's a fun little ditty. Oh yeah. I'm not gonna lie. It's a, I'm, I'm glad we picked it. Um,
1: kind of so, makes me feel like Paper Chase. Uh, <laughs> I
0: have no idea what Paper Chase is. Oh. I, I, this is the beauty of this podcast: so many political and cultural differences, but b- because of <laughs> age and culture, and
1: um, because I'm old, you're saying thanks. yes,
0: yes, that's exactly. It no, and uh, well, and because I was not here in the '90s and you were, so we're gonna. So I have questions for you, sir, about the 1996 Crime Bill, uh, because here we are. Mm. Uh, we're gonna get into presidential politics, but this time, uh, let's jump in on the on the Clinton side. Trump's been kind of quiet. This last week, uh, of course, on, the, on tap for tonight, we got it's, it's going to be another semi-short, but not, uh, but not terribly short. It's going to be a nice, I think, thorough, yet fast-paced political fun on this week's program. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about the fallout from Wisconsin, the potential of the contested convention seeming more and more likely. And, uh, but let's start here with uh, the year was 1996. Riley was in Peshawar, Pakistan. Uh, and let me tell you, Scott, the one thing I am woefully unfamiliar, most, most uh, of my friends who are my age and a little younger kind of just barely remember Bill Clinton. And the main thing they remember is the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yes. Uh, that's kind of, that, that's the nature of it. I remember him because there was, uh, in 1998, um, he conducted missile strikes. Um, in in uh, north of Peshawar, Pakistan. Um, mm. Well, it, it may have been in Afghanistan. I I don't remember the details exactly. I was so young at the time, but I remember it was sort of the the talk of the town, so to speak, because these were some of the first what would now be called counterinsurgency strikes uh, mm. in the Clinton administration, because he went after uh, Bin Laden's camp in '98. A lot of people don't know this, um, uh, but yeah, U.S. Uh, launched cruise missiles. Uh, and, uh, and <laughs> Afghanistan was not happy about it. And also <laughs> it was tactically terribly done because the, all the, the U S embassy and all of the, um, foreign aid workers and, and NGO workers like my dad at the time, we all knew it days and days in advance. So, you know, everyone else did, but it was a big sort of show of force and uh of course now upon reflection it turns out there are some domi- domestic issues going on at the time so uh i i'm personally suspicious that uh as is often the case in presidential politics uh it never hurts to kind of take take the public's eye off of uh of the white house if things going on in the white house aren't so aren't so snappy aren't so good so that's kind of my little background that's the only thing i really remember about bill clinton until like 2012, when I watched his convention speech at the Democratic National Convention, and then I realized, oh, that's why he's so popular. Because the man is an excellent communicator. Yes, he is. Uh, an excellent communicator in, in ways that I never even realized. Because again, I, like, I didn't grow up watching him on the news. And, and so you suddenly realize how he has been so able to deftly survive so many political scandals, but he finds himself embroiled in one again let mm-hmm. Let's take a listen here. I have actually queued up the audio. Um to to me this is absolutely fascinating Two, uh, twofold. Just to listen the rhetorical capability of of one Bill Clinton as well as to the the second part of it is the reaction. We'll get to that in a second, but let's take a listen. These are Oh, well,
1: uh, be, before you do, let me just say that the, the rhetorical flourishes of the current Bill Clinton are nowhere near what they were 20 years ago. I mean, he is plainly a man on the decline but yet we still got this
0: that's so true that's so true so um yeah he was at a uh clinton rally and uh i should say a a hillary clinton rally yes think about the political that that's like a freudian (laughs) slip right there that says a lot about the current state of politics when i say clinton i'm referring to the secretary and not the former president um and and he was interrupted as has happened several times at clinton rallies uh he was interrupted by protesters uh that uh were part of the black lives matter movement uh and they are uh particularly protesting hard this 1996 crime bill uh, and i've had to do some research i'm not i'm no expert on it this week i've really been been reading a little bit more about it uh but let's take a listen to what he has to say here here we go all right. Oh, wait. Uh, let's tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause my recorder real quick and make sure I can pipe up that audio. And we're back. Here we go. All right. So let's take a listen. Here he is. Bill Clinton referring to the 1996 uh, crime bill. Taking the protesters directly on. None of this ignoring them. None of this. Let's kick him out. He engages. Here he is.
2: Whose family comes from Scranton.
0: Referring he to was Joe the Biden.
2: One chairman of the committee that had jurisdiction over this crime bill. I had an assault weapons ban in it. I had money for inner-city kids, for out-of-school activities. We had 110,000 police officers so we could pay people on the street, not in these military vehicles, and the police would look like the people they were policing. We did all that. And Biden said, you can't pass this bill, the Republicans will kill it if you don't put more sentencing in. I talked to a lot of African-American groups, they thought Black Lives Matter, they said Take this bill, because our kids are being shot in the street by gangs. We have thirteen year old kids planning their own funerals. She don't want to hear any of that. You know what else she doesn't want to hear? Because of that bill, we had a 25-year low in crime, a 33 low in the murder rate, year low right, murder rate, and listen to this. Because of that and the background check law, we had a forty-six year low in the deaths of people by gun violence and who you think those lives were that mattered whose lives were saved that mattered
0: so like here he is right now uh he's defending his record and bill clinton is a smart dude he knows the policy and he was there on the ground uh forming it uh, along with joe biden and uh the republican congress at the well, time and, yeah. and-, and he was
1: also busy triangulating i mean that was his big strategy was to I mean, really, I mean w- what his big strategy was is what everybody talks about doing today, but nobody does, and that's compromising that's what triangulating essentially is
0: exactly and that this bill was a prime example of it he's saying, yeah, the Republicans wanted higher sentencing, but also we were getting you know this much money in after school programs we were investing this much into getting uh more police forces on the street that were engaging the community uh and and he's I mean he's using even talking points that uh pro-Black Lives Matter people you would think would be all about, like, having a more present, engaged police force that, quote-unquote, looks like the people they're policing, which is, again, kind of racially coded language. Uh, I I, I prefer, um, I I would, if I were to, if I were choosing the wording, I would use something more along the lines of maybe not looks like the people you're policing, but understands uh, the people you're policing. Uh, Because there are different a policeman in rural uh, Georgia is very different than a policeman in metro Atlanta and, and their role and their training is different. So understanding different cultures that you're policing is extremely important. So he's defending his record. And what's fascinating to me here is that he's just begun, like, off the cuff. this We listen to about a minute. He goes on for, like, another 10 minutes defending his record, and he, like, develops his own refrain. Like, every good public speaker knows whenever you write a speech, you, ha- you have a refrain. And, and so, like, yeah. he would end every sentence as he was defending his record and who and that helped lives that you say matter that kept that prevented the deaths of the lives you say matter and so he has this like his own refrain he's having fun with it and and you're right he his age is there but like his capability of defending his record is really well done it would be the type of thing that if you were if you were a democrat and it wasn't 2016 you know this would have been the kind of speech that would uh, rally a country together um, yeah, and it's and- fascinating to me, fascinating yeah. that the fallout, and this is what I want to get from you, Scott, the fact that almost all of the think pieces uh, in the media, I've seen a New York Times piece, I've seen a Washington Post piece, and of course I've seen a Salon piece, but that's kind of a given. But a lot of these uh, these pieces are like, yeah, no, it's, it's poor old Bill's falling into irrelevancy, he's incapable, it's sad to see a once great politician just... Just fall down and stumble. And he's a real liability to Hillary Clinton's campaign. And I'm just, I watched this and thought, you know, I I may not, I, I don't agree with a lot of Bill Clinton's policies, but he's a fairly moderate Democrat who was able to work with Gingrich in this crime bill. And he's right. There was a 30-year low in violent crime. He wa- it was effective in after-school programs and helping lift kids in poor neighborhoods out of poverty. Uh, and, and so it's fascinating to me to see that he's sort of been abandoned by his own party.
1: Well, it also goes to show you kind of the shift. I mean there's been a lot of talk in the last several years about how far right the Republican Party has gone, which has been fascinating to me because – uh, there continues to be this this fight to nominate moderates on a regular basis. Uh, so I, I, I haven't seen that shift, but I, we've certainly seen the Democrat Party shift very far to the left. I mean when you, when you have a guy who is a self-avowed socialist, democratic socialist, socialist nonetheless, who is in contention. If the superdelegates didn't exist, these guys would be neck and neck right now. Uh, for the party's nomination, uh, you are really talking about a serious leftward shift. Yeah, and the the Bill Clinton that gave this speech and the Bill Clinton that finally really shot back and shot back in a big way because I got to tell you something I have seen I have seen protesters interrupt his Hillary Clinton speeches uh, during this campaign cycle and I've never seen that Bill Clinton come out during this campaign cycle. Uh, there was a Marine who stood up and really gave him what for about Benghazi. Yeah, and I remember. He, he did not handle it well. He really no. dropped the ball. He sounded like a doddering old man. But this thing came up and he was ready. And he not only defended his record, but I thought I thought he rallied the people in the room, to be honest with you. No, they uh, the were clearly kind- on
0: his side. Uh and in fact, what I, I kind of played the best part. Because uh the the part that's really making the rounds that I think has ostracized him from a certain sect of the of the liberal media and the black lives matter movement particularly Uh, he is now you know good luck uh, you know not that he has political ambitions anymore he's the former president of the united states you can't really get any higher than that but he's now sort of persona non grata with this extremely powerful uh movement within the democratic party and it is uh, you know just in terms of pure political uh speech Pure politics. It's uh, bad for Secretary Clinton because that's her strong point. If she loses her strong minority support, uh, that's when you have uh, Bernie Sanders winning New York in a little over a week. Um, and and I want to play, but this is the part really that um, this is the one that made the rounds. This is what people are mostly paying attention to. This is about thirty seconds right here.
2: Other signs. This is what's the matter. I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13-year-old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African-American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter.
0: And that's how he finishes it. <laughs> You're defending the people who killed the lives you say matter. It's harsh. It's, um, and... It's 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 unfortunate. Like I know, I know people uh, uh, who are very strong proponents of Black Lives Matter movement, and they would say that's not the case at all. And they would be the first to uh, to talk about the need to destroy the extreme crime uh, and poverty that is so rampant amongst particularly uh, urban uh, bl- black communities. Um, so, uh, so it's sort of this this, this two sided. Uh, just to kind of point both both ends at each other, and then I'll let you take a swing at it either way, Scott. It seems sort of like it, the the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, very much against a uh, perceived lack of consideration when it comes to policing in America, where they they uh, are huge proponents of reforming what they see as a police force. That is institutionally racist and on a large scale uh, mispolicing minority communities in ways that are destructive both to the uh, the crime rates that are that are high and also destructive and policing the community as a whole as if they're criminal. And that's and that's and and, and I don't agree with that assessment. But what I can say is that. There is an obvious tension in policing in America today, and it's grown inordinately in the last, like, two years, particularly. And there needs to be a solution to it. But for the solution to be there, there has to be an understanding of where it comes from and a a pronounced effort on both sides, on both sides, the the quote-unquote Blue Lives Matter and the quote-unquote Black Lives Matter, to establishing solutions to better more thorough policing. I'm of the camp that, particularly in poor communities where gang violence is so rampant that Bill Clinton's talking about, there's an enormous problem with under-policing. Um, and, and there's a, and that's a problem with policing. It's just a different view of the type of policing because for me, racially charged incidents, they're out there. But whenever you talk about the problem of racism, it's extremely difficult to attack it from an institutional level because it's an individual crime and an individual thought process. And so the best, most effective way to, to combat it, this is just Riley's opinion, uh, is, is to combat it individually so that when cases of clear and proven racism come up, uh, you eradicate it quickly. Um, mm. But the problem is, is that that's not the case that's being made, and it's drawing these battle lines. Not even Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative, black versus white. It's within the liberal movement, these battle lines that have been clearly drawn. And it'll be fascinating to me to see uh, where this goes.
1: Yes, is it my turn?
0: Oh yes, uh, take it, take uh, take your bat, take your baseball bat, Scott. What do you think?
1: <laughs> no, there's a, there's a thing on the left that happens a lot. There's certain uh, left leaning activists who like to try to parse words and try to find things being said that aren't being said. Uh, they try to they they talk about dog whistle words and code words. Now you, you and I know that's all baloney to try and paint somebody into saying something they're not actually saying, but. In this situation, well, yeah, and let's go back to Reagan. When Reagan talked about welfare queens, that immediately meant black. Mm-hmm. When yeah. it, it plainly didn't mean black. So, it, didn't and, be- it meant And that's on the Republican side. So, when you. When, uh,
0: when you uh, so, that, let's be fair. So, both sides, I, when he said uh, welfare queens, that was seen as racially charged. Scott, yes. do you honestly think in 1996, when Hillary Clinton characterized uh, the uh-huh. criminals that they were targeting as, and I quote, super predators, is that racially charged?
1: Well, that's exactly where I was going to go. This (laughs) entire Black Lives Matter eruption on the Hillary Clinton campaign boils down to two words, super predators. Mm -hmm. And again, you are talking about people who look for code words, who try to create code words, who try to find ways to make you say something you're not actually saying. And here we go. We've got super predators. I'm going to read you the entire quote, if if you don't mind. I'm going to put this in context. Yeah. And you be the judge. Here's the quote. But we also have an organized effort against gangs. Just as in a previous generation, we had an organized effort against the mob. We need to take these people on. They're often connected to big drug cartels. They're not just gangs of kids anymore. They're often the kinds of kids that are called super predators, in quotes. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heel, and the president has asked the FBI to launch a very concerted effort against gangs everywhere. Unquote. This could be a Nixon
0: quote. I mean, that's <laughs> – that. no, seriously, that could be
1: uh,
0: – it's fascinating. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I don't – I don't understand uh, why that is seen as coded racial language. And No, and it she, seems...
1: she's specifically talking about these people who are in gangs, and she didn't invent the term. This is a term she picked up from law enforcement.
0: Ah, this is so weird. And so, like, I just don't understand. I would understand this if this were Mitt Romney who said it. During the election cycle of 2012, and there was a big backlash because the bad lines are already there, and, and this is the nature of politics. You're always looking for a window to attack your opponent and, and score political points. It's just the way that the system works. I don't understand why a 1996, 20 years ago, uh, a comment about this in context, which could make perfect sense, has become a central point of these protesters. You see this on sign: uh, "We're not super predators," uh, or "The the crime bill destroyed our communities." That that's that's the claim of the Black Lives Matter movement. And yep. and just in the you know light research, I'm no expert on it, but this bipartisan effort did reduce crime and did re- reduce gun violence, which is something that republicans and democrats can agree on in fact like included provisions for expanded background checks which is something that's fairly bipartisan even pro-gun nra uh people mostly support you know a good thorough system of background checks for those who want to purchase a firearm so that they can make sure that there's a clear legal process to do so and it's just fascinating to me that this has become this has made bill clinton of all people persona non grata in in the world of the Democratic Party.
1: And let me just give you a statistic, if I may. From 1993 to 2013, gun homicides in this country fell by 49 percent. And a lot of that credit for that is given to the crime bill. A lot of it is laid at the feet of the crime bill. Uh, Now, what you are seeing is a couple of things. A lot of times, protest movements, whether it's Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street, uh, what you will find is ultimately, end of the day, the funding is coming from socialist groups. Now, who would socialist groups be funding in this election cycle?
0: I mean, Bernie Sanders. Well, there you have I it. Mean, so the Democratic Socialist, I would say.
1: Yeah, and Bernie Sanders is – look, let's be honest. I mean, yes, he's won eight of the last nine contests, but in reality, he's got New York coming up. He's 14 points down in New York, and if he doesn't have New York, it's over. It is over for him. Um, and so he's fighting for his life. He really is fighting for his campaign's life, and this is one of those things that – they 've decided they're going to hang their hats on and try to uh, take Hillary down with because again they've found a group that is willing to listen to that message and found a group that is willing to respond and go out there and and disrupt as they have
0: yeah absolutely i i need I need to get somebody I need to get some black lives matter people on the podcast and and have a real conversation about like what is the goal of the movement and how what are what is the process for approaching a more positive uh police force that creates a better environment for african americans because here's the thing that everyone can agree on uh poor minority communities uh need desperately desperately solutions to rampant crime that creates a cyclical social uh just spiral that is extremely harmful, and I think everyone can agree there needs to be a solution to it. I am just, personally, I'm rarely baffled in the world of politics. I, In fact, I pride myself to pretty effectively I can make arguments for multiple causes. I think it makes you a much more effective communicator if you can understand other people's political points of view. Uh, But this is one that I just honestly have a really hard time with. Uh, And I think, I I mean, I think this needs to happen. I need to get some actual... uh, I mean, if it's possible, get some actual reasonable uh, members of the Black Lives Matter community who can effectively uh, communicate it. It's sort of like the, um, the $15 minimum wage <laughs> activists that go on Neil Cavuto and just get destroyed with how that can possibly work nationally. Ah, yeah, anyway.
1: Well, and that's the thing is that these impoverished communities, a $15 minimum wage is not going to help anybody out of poverty because at that point, $15 becomes the poverty line. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, and it's one of those things where everybody within a few percent of that is going to get sucked up in that if, if we were to actually go to that. Scott, um,
0: Scott the, why – let me just ask you a question. Why yeah. can't we agree on a bipartisan effort to increase police policing of high crime areas to reduce the influx of drugs in these poor areas and – give wider access and more choice to better schools and expand states' ability to fund these schools through local taxes, through state-level things like, you know, in Georgia, the the lottery. And, and why can't—like, these seem like really straightforward, common-sense solutions to these problems. I'm just uh, confounded that I don't think anyone of the remaining presidential candidates uh, are capable of— not creating the solutions but to sell, selling solutions to both sides. It's just – uh, kind of, I'm kind of stunned that this hasn't happened yet.
1: You know, that's, that is one of the interesting things out of this campaign cycle is we have, we have had eight years of a presidency that despite uh, – he, he was on Fox News this morning uh, basically talking about how he was upset that everything was so political, but he opened up the interview by announcing that Fox was the place all the Republicans went. Uh, We are in the midst of the most hyper-partisan administration I've ever seen in my entire existence, and that's one of the reasons we can't get anything done. Because the partisanship is so overwhelming, there's no focus. And, and and look, the blame gets laid at the feet of Republicans for not working with the president. But the simple fact is, you go back and watch. You go back and watch the health care summit where Paul Ryan spelled out the issues he had with the health care bill. He wasn't told, well, let's work on these and let's fix those problems. He was told these weren't problems, and you need to go away. And you should never have questioned me. Um, we have really hit an era where no Republicans aren't working with the president, but the president has done absolutely nothing to reach out to Republicans and work with them either. So here we are now the Clinton era. Again, we had triangulation. Mm -hmm. Clinton figured out where he could go how far over he could go to reach out and pull the Republicans towards him and find a place where they could meet. And they did that. And they did that frequently. And when you hear about uh, you hear about surpluses and you hear about balanced budgets and you hear about crime going down, and you hear about crime bills, this is why it happened. Because mm-hmm. the strategy of the White House was we're going to find ways to meet them halfway, and they're going to look bad if they don't want to meet us halfway. The mm-hmm. strategy of the current administration is we're going to get exactly what we want, and that's it, and we're going to blame them if we don't get it. Very different.
0: Yeah. No, I mean I think that's a fair comparison. Just, just hold up the Clinton administration – and the Obama administration, and look at the differences of the way that they interacted uh, with Congress. Uh, I mean, they didn't like each other. Newt Gingrich, Bill Clinton, not not no. the best of pals. Um, not at all. But they were still able to effectively uh, pass legislation that still overall helped communities, and it's and that's one thing that I think I don't know if it ret- will return for a long time in politics. I don't see it at all in this election cycle. It doesn't matter who the Republican or Democratic nominee is. No, uh, at no this you point. make
1: a great point because I don't think I don't think. I mean, Republicans don't want to work with Ted Cruz. Yeah, <laughs> Republicans don't want to work so, with Donald
0: Trump. That's so true. That is so true. And uh, well, and speaking of Ted Cruz and, and Donald Trump, we gotta we gotta get out of here in a few minutes. So I just want to quickly bump through the current state of the primary process. Um, uh, and maybe get a little bit less depressed because I always like this is the horse race, man. When we get back into the the horse race and the potential of uh, a contested convention, I just get excited. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a great process. It's going to be great. Uh, all right, so Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Trump got trumped, uh, stomped upon, lost badly. In fact, early in the night, I was actually, there's part of me that was wondering and hoping, honestly, that it would be a 20-point gap. It turned out to go down to about a 13-point gap. Still a significant victory for Ted Cruz, due primarily to local organization through Wisconsin Talk Radio, the endorsement of Governor Scott Walker. Uh, this, for the first time, really, in the entire uh, process, he got some key endorsements from high-profile members of the state, and the conservative movement which is if you were, if you're looking for a the the strongest most bullish uh and battle-worn uh conservative activists go to Wisconsin because <laughs> they're ready <laughs> for the three was well, it three elections in 3 years that Scott Walker yeah, had to go uh, three
1: elections in 4 years because he was elected then he was recalled and then he was reelected and, and let me just say you are always on the lookout for for Donald Trump stumble,
0: uh, this is true. This is true. The
1: biggest stumble Trump had in Wisconsin was he went down there and he because Walker endorsed uh, uh, Ted Cruz, he decided he was going to run Walker down and run Walker through the mud. And again, this guy got elected in a heavily Democrat state. A Republican who got elected three times in four years—that is a horrible move.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's and and it seems. I mean, it's, it's pretty much exactly what they predicted would happen. The, the final delegate count was Cruz, 36. Well, uh, Kasich, zero. Trump, six. So, uh, it, you know, it, it kind of narrowed the gap just a little bit. And, uh, and, and of course, it gave uh, Cruz a little bit of momentum. And then he headed to New York. A New York State of Mind for Teddy, uh, and mm. got a warm welcome in the Bronx. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and by New that, York
1: State of Mind, he was met by some New York values, is what he was met <laughs> with.
0: That's really coming to bite him in the in the proverbial behind, because is. Uh, this is a political misstep for Cruz, I think. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh you, no, no. Yeah, it's it's, and not the fact that he should said bite it him the behind. He should be the guy who's
0: willing to look presidential and say. To any New Yorkers, uh, uh, I was not referring to the spirit of the hard work ethic and opportunity that the great state of New York has offered generations of Americans. And to anyone who thought I did, I apologize. He needs to be the guy who's willing yep. to apologize. I know you know, probably consultants inside the camp are like, no, the cool thing. The, the kids are all just being bullish and we never apologize and never step back. No, that's Trump's gig. Let him yep. be that guy uh, and, and just uh, be willing to apologize and then move forward because the fact is is that New York values well, – Scott, when you – if, you, if the, you'd never watched anything in the, in the presidential election, what comes to mind if somebody says New York values with no political context?
1: Oh, gee, 9-11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what you – think That's the worst thing that could come to mind for a Ted Cruz –
0: yeah, no, but you think you think of firefighters, like especially yeah. someone my age, you think of yeah. firefighters. Uh, so that it's a, I mean, it's just the nature of politics, and it's fascinating that he's sort of he's doubled down on it uh, very much in a way that I think is a is a misstep. But you mm. know, he knows he's not going to win. I'm I'm actually I pulled up my one of my a site that by the way it tells you so much about 2016 uh, that I've bookmarked and visit every day. Real Clear Politics. Uh, and their latest poll section because I'm always fascinated. So here's two interesting things moving forward. New York. The question is, does Donald Trump hit over fifty percent? Because if he does, he gets like an automatic twenty thirty delegates more. I, I don't remember the exact number, but that's a big threshold. And the current polls have him. We've got a Emerson poll from a couple days ago that was released. It has him at fifty six, and we've got another uh, a Fox News poll that was released today that has him at fifty four. Um, and Kasich and Cruz distant second and third, uh, twenty two and fifteen and uh, seventeen and twenty two respectively. So like each averaging out at like maybe twenty percent. Uh, still fascinating that put together they still beat him. Uh, well, no, not quite, not quite. No, not no, quite. he's over
1: fifty. That's, that's that. that. He's
0: over fifty. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if that holds or, or not. It, Trump's in the middle of a bit of a of a bit of a rejiggering. It sounds like he's been a little bit quiet. He's got the new guys in, and he's preparing for the delegate fight because Cruz, <laughs> there's something I like about how Cruz is very much, you know, the, the, the conservative, evangelical, faithful, fight-the-establishment guy, but also he is ruthless. Like, let's be honest, he is. his campaign is extremely calculated and organized and they mm-hmm. are going after every last delegate that they can squeeze in the state of Colorado yesterday uh in in the, they in Louisiana where they picked up a few they they're nabbing all of these delegates uh right and left which is putting them at a fairly competitive uh stage if this does go to a contested convention so Scott let I'll have you round us out we've got Will Trump get plus plus fifty, fifty plus in New York And if so, does that put him on the path to clinch this thing? And and more specifically, as we look all the way through uh, April and May and the beginning of June, uh, do you see any path for Donald Trump to clinch this nomination?
1: I think it's getting increasingly difficult. I think he certainly—I mean, he certainly is going to wind up with the most delegates when it comes time for the convention. But will he have his twelve hundred plus that he's got to have to actually? Clinch the nomination. It's going to be it's going to be questionable. But I will tell you this, and and I really I really hope the Repo- Republican Party pays attention to this. And and I know you're you're almost a hashtag never Trump guy. No, I am. Yeah, but, <laughs> that's easy. But,
0: that's very easy for me.
1: <laughs> but but here's what I have to say, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think everybody needs to understand this. In the last couple of election cycles, one of the big reasons for Republican losses was Republicans didn't turn out. Yeah. Republicans did not show up. They sat at home. They sat at home in 08 and more of them sat at home in 2012. Mm-hmm. And so the big difference is you've got to get people motivated and you've got to get them wanting to go to the polls. And right now, this is happening in the primaries. Yeah. They're showing up in huge numbers. Numbers they haven't shown up in decades to vote for whomever. But a lot of them are motivated by what's happening with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. If you go to that convention and he has got the majority or at least the plurality of delegates Mm -hmm. and the Republicans say, yeah, that's nice, but we're going to give it to somebody else. You will kill that momentum. Absolutely kill it. And the only hope you will have after that is the fact that the Democrats are none too enthused either.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a terrible position. It's, it's awful. And, and it just comes down to where you, how you feel as a conservative. And if you think, um, if, if you think that uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are an equally bad choice to be president of the United States for varying different reasons, and you're like me, uh, and, and you're a never-Trump person, that's a price you have to pay. And it's just kind of a matter of perspective, Scott. I think, for me, a vote for Trump, a nomination of Trump is surrendering. Uh, the election. It, it, it's always possible to be wrong, but I think if, if we're at least remotely and intellectually honest, uh, of the electorate, the general election electorate in 2016, there is no realistic mathematical path for Donald Trump to win the election. I, I, I just don't see any path. So it's a very easy for me uh, to not really feel that guilty. Uh, when it comes to that, because i just don 't have enough of a party allegiance um, and, and I, I value I, and it, it just comes to whether it 's sort of like abortion it's <laughs> honestly it 's whether or not uh, it comes down to when you think life begins it 's a very simple but emotional and politically charged argument when uh, does so- something become someone, and in the case of trump it 's kind of a weird parallel to draw, but it is at what point do you think uh he will or will not um, enact conservative policy, and if you don 't think that 's true you can 't vote for him uh, and that 's what and 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 that 's why you have i mean this on Friday Mark Levin coming out and saying he 's never trump um, yep. and so joining the ranks of the likes of Glenn Beck and a couple other uh, high prominent national uh, political figures and it 's going to be uh, I mean, either way, it's a loss. Honestly, at this point, if if the if Trump doesn't get the nomination and he's within a hundred delegates and a, a huge swath of Trump voters, blue collar, angry workers just stay home. That might be, you know, that would probably, you know, Ted Cruz is kind of a fifty fifty shot. Honestly, if you look at the polls, he's got a he's got a slightly better national polling than Hillary Clinton. But you know, ne- you never know. It's he, he's not that likable on the national stage. So I have to also no. admit that you know, in terms of which candidate is stronger and likely, but. You know, that's just kind of where I come down.
1: Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, again, I tell you, the convention could destroy the election for the parties, however, will it, however it works well, out.
0: Well, let me ask you one final question as we okay. get ready to wrap. And that is, let's, let's assume it's a contested convention and Trump is within 100 delegates. Because that's pretty – for him to be less than – like more than 100 delegates off, that's pretty unlikely at this point. Uh, mm. If it ha if he falls short, he's probably only going to fall short by fifty, maybe a hundred. Uh, so if it's within a hundred, and on a second ballot, there there's nothing, and on a third ballot, there's nothing. Play out uh, for me uh, with with your political knowledge and perspective, what you think the nomination of a let's just throw out a couple names, of a Nikki Haley, of a Paul Ryan. What does that look like in the week aftermath, just the immediate aftermath? Because you say it's bad, but like, exactly how bad? In what way?
1: Well, I think, I think, first off, I think the name Paul Ryan will be the name if they wind up doing this. <laughs> um, we think he doth protest too much. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know that, uh, uh, again, you know, he protested too much over the speaker position, and now here he is
0: what happened th- to kevin mccarthy there's some dirt there i'm <laughs> i'm too suspicious
1: <laughs> but uh as far as the aftermath goes i think republicans i don't think there's an aftermath i think it happens at the convention that there is a massive walkout Hmm.
0: interesting so like an actual just we're done yes.
1: yes i think there will be a walkout even speakers will depart before their speaking slot
0: it'd ah, be so great I mean, if, if there's going to be a fire, make it a bonfire. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Beyond the Vote for April 10th. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week looking ahead to the New York primary and all the political craziness. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Beyond the Votes. I'm at The Riley Guy. Scott is at Rifen. And make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or SoundCloud. It's available each and every week on RileyBlanton.com. We thank you for your support and for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.
1: Here we go. It's the Star Wars tonight of podcast pull up politics.
0: We went we got almost forty minutes there, man, but I know uh-huh. you it's like about nine o'clock, so I'll let you uh it do it your is. thing, sir.